Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it is living, active, true. Jesus, give me your words to say what you want, nothing else. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. And Father, shower your incredible love and presence in the hearts of each and every one of us to bring encouragement, comfort, strength, conviction, most importantly, for your glory. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Tamara, thank you so much. Well, Dustin, I want to invite you to come up. I've got a couple pastor privilege announcements to make. One is Dustin is going to share a brief testimony and also a story. Dustin's been trained and equipped in what we call storing. And so he's going to share this story, and it's a direct correlation to Freedom Prayer, which is a conference that we're going to be hosting here at the end of this month. So, Dustin, it's all yours. Okay, good morning. So before I share the story that the Lord has put on my heart, um, I just want to tell you um, yeah, why he put it on my heart. So last week I was praying, uh, specifically praying for what Doug was talking about, Freedom Prayer Conference coming up in um, 18 days. Um, and as I was praying uh, specifically for um, hearts to be stirred uh, to sign up for this, um, I realized something. As we've been talking about Freedom Prayer, one of the, the, the main question that most people are asking, whether you're announcing it verbally or, um, or, or being bold enough to, to say it directly to us, is what is it? What is it? Um, you know, we've been giving you the definition of it. A few weeks ago, we gave you the definition, which I'll share again now. Freedom Prayer is a biblically-based prayer ministry that sets an environment for you to come in, sit down with other believers, and have a guided prayer session um, where you get to listen to Jesus, talk to Jesus, listen about anything that is preventing you from walking in true freedom. That's the definition of freedom prayer. But still, I'm assuming, because some people have told me it's still, okay, but what is it? What is it? (laughs) (laughs) And then we've we've given you scripture. Um, God's word is chock full of his desire for us to walk in freedom. The one we shared a few weeks ago, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We've given the definition. We've given God's word. But still, I'm still hearing people say, yeah, but what is it? What is it? And so the Lord brought me to this story. So can I share with you a story? Okay. Thank you. So this is a true story from God's word. Thousands of years ago, God's people were in slavery in Egypt. They were not walking in freedom. Many burdens, hardships, suffering. The Lord heard their cry and supernaturally delivered them out of slavery, out of Egypt. One month later, one month later, God's people started complaining about their leaders, Moses and Aaron. They said, I mean, if the Lord would have just killed us in Egypt, there we we had plenty of of bread to eat, more than we wanted. But now you've led us out here to starve to death. The Lord heard their cry, their complaint. He responded and he said, look, I am going to rain 
down bread from heaven for you. The next morning, the next morning, there was dew, the morning dew that covered the entire camp of God's people. But when this dew evaporated, there remained this this tiny, flaky substance that was as fine as frost that completely covered the entire camp. And as God's people were waking up in the morning, they come out of their tents and they look on the ground. They look at each other and they were puzzled. And they started saying, well, what, what is this? What, what is it? Hey, neighbor, do you see this? What, I see it. What is it? I don't know. What is this? What is it? Moses came before the people and said, look, this is the bread that the Lord has provided for you. So I'm going to end the story there. I do want to encourage you to go back and read all of Exodus chapter 16. The Lord is teaching a lot more than than this in that story. So go back and read that. Um, But a few verses later, we read read in God's word that God's people were able to put a name to this, what it was. They named it manna, which literally is a word that means what is it. And (laughs) then we read that it says this manna was um, as white as coriander seed, and it tasted like wafers of honey. Mm. And that's, that's when it hit me. That's when it hit me. God's people were able to describe it because they tried it. And they, and they tried it because they were hungry. It was literally all around them. And the Lord provided it. And so as this relates to freedom prayer, specifically this training that's coming up, We are all hungry. We are all spiritually hungry to experience God's nearness, his presence, and specifically, all of us are hungry to walk in freedom. They they tried it because they were hungry. They tried it because it was all around them. Everyone knows freedom prayer is all around us. You've seen it. Up here from stage, you see it on the on the signs. You see it in your emails, email bulletin. This training that's coming up. It's freedom prayer is all around us. They tried it because they were hungry. They tried it because it was all around them, and they tried it because the Lord provided it. And as we have shared, Doug and Christy, since they came back from Mexico, they've been praying for this day. And the Lord has provided it specifically with this training conference that's coming up August 26th, August 27th. We really want you guys to come. Um, and so if that question, what is it, that's okay. That's okay. 
But just remember this story that they were able to describe it for themselves because they tried it. And we should want to try it because we're all hungry. It's all around us. And the Lord is providing it. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, we can go ahead and clap. Very quickly, you've described it perfectly. Okay. And so we're not going to go into the other stuff that I said we'd do. But I will say this. If you had not begun to receive freedom through freedom prayer, would you be able to stand up here talking the way you have? No. That is one of the outside fruits. As Dustin continues to be touched by Jesus, sanctified by Jesus, set free by Jesus, he's empowering him to do things that he could not do before experience the freedom that Christ gives us. So at the end of our service, if you have questions, you can talk with Dustin, Carolyn, even me about freedom prayer. There's information on the screen on there. There's a QR code. There is a cost. It's $25, uh, $35 per couple. So if that is an issue for you, we can talk about that too. But you can talk with Dustin and Carolyn. But Freedom Prayer Conference is in 18 days, Mm -hmm. less than three weeks. Um, Pray about it. Look at your calendar. We'd love for you to join us. So Dustin, thank you so much. So would you stand here real quick? Um, Chris, can you go to the Shema prayer at the end? We're going to do that right now. I want to invite everybody to stand up. So it's the passage, part of the passage that we read this morning, and uh, we're going to do it now. We'll do it later. Um, But this is Jesus' version of Deuteronomy 6 because he was asked about what the greatest commandment is. So it's a responsive reading and prayer. I'm deficient. Jesus answered, the most important commandment is this. We all say, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. You may be seated. The Shema, the greatest command. Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, and he was asked several times, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, Maestro, as we say in Spanish, which is the greatest commandment? And there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Say 613. That sounds like speaking in tongues. 613. 13 is kind of hard to say if you don't speak English, right? 13. And Jesus leaves us with two. Praise the Lord, right? It's called the Shema, and it comes right here out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this we're going to look at. We're starting a new sermon series today. It's a discipleship series. And today, specifically, we're going to talk a lot about commands that are given to our parents. But there's a lot of us here that don't have kids yet. There are 27 families that are part of Woodbine. 27 families. But what about those of us who are single and not married and no kids? What about some of us who we have kids, we have grandkids and great-grandkids. There's one or two, I think, that worship with us in our family that might have great-great-grandkids on the way. One of my best friends in Mexico, he's four years younger than me, so that makes him in his 40s, and he's a grandpa already. And his oldest grandchildren are teenagers. So it's a possibility that before he reaches the age of 50, he will be a great-grandpa. 
It only takes one generation to lose the whole generation. And there's a responsibility for parents, for adults, to pass down, to pass along what we've been taught and what we know to the next generation. And it's not just for parents, it's for everyone. Our life group this past year, a lot of people say, hey, your, your life group, Stevie's life group, the leader of our life group is Ezekiel. He's four years old and he's in charge. And it's awesome when he leads the icebreaker because he does. And he was a mini me back when he was two years old and one and a half because his parents would put him in a plaid shirt just like I wear. And I would hold him. I tried to hold him last week, but he's now four and a half. He's getting kind of heavy. So sorry, guys, I might need to find a new little mini me. Children are so impressionable. There's a phrase. Have you ever heard this phrase? The chip off the old block? What does it mean? What about this one? The apple doesn't fall far from the apple tree. Now, usually that's a derogatory statement. You know, it's more caught than taught. I love TV. And I need to confess, I love TV so much that I have two kids that really love TV. I've discipled them into loving TV. Right, Eric and Margie? I mean, now we're really talking about Sam, aren't we? It's more caught than taught. I'll never forget, my mom would always laugh at me. She says, Doug, back when you were like two years old, you always wanted to wear what your daddy wore. And there was one night we were in the kitchen and dad just, my dad took a cup of peas or beans in his bowl and he sat back against the refrigerator. He crossed his legs like this and leaned back and he was eating. And as a little two-year-old, I wanted my little cup and my little spoon and I was trying to eat peas and I was trying to cross my leg over to try to, and my parent, my mom was telling tell my dad, hey, look what Dougie is trying to do. And don't ever call me Dougie, by the way, no, I'm Stacey. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't quite get that foot over, but I was trying to copy my dad. Because, oh, my dad. We are always making disciples. The question is, what are we making disciples of and who are we discipling? There is a dear group of brothers and sisters who are part of our congregation. Most of them sit along this side. There's a few in the back over there. Actually, there's like seven back there, and there's a couple scattered over here. And we call you legacy members. Why? Because they have left a legacy here. For years, as they've watched the neighborhood change and watched the membership get smaller and smaller and smaller, They did not want to sell this building to become a community center or to get torn down and become apartments. They wanted to leave a legacy of the gospel of Jesus. Is that not right, Miss Helen? So that Jesus is proclaimed and preached. And you ask any of them what is one of the biggest things that they've seen over the past seven years, and they'll tell you, watching babies run and little children run in the sanctuary and hearing babies cry because it represents the next generation, a legacy. Now, the title of this sermon series is just simply Influence. Influence. We're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy, both in English and Spanish, is really hard to say. Part of me wants to say, dude, rod, and me. There's a dude, and there's a rod, and there's a me. Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomio, and I still can't say it right in Spanish. It's a hard book, but it's kind of towards the beginning of your Bible. So if you open up your Bible or turn on your smartphone, if you've got it, to Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in the Old Testament. It's the last book that Moses wrote, and it's actually a speech. And it's Moses, it's Holy Spirit-inspired God giving Moses these words here in the book of Deuteronomy. It's an incredible book. It's one of the most impactful books of the whole Bible. Now, they're all impactful, but I think you know what I mean. When you read some of those passages that talk about so-and-so begot so-and-so that begot so-and-so, it's kind of easy just to skip over those chapters and move to something else, right? But the book of Deuteronomy is a powerful, it's an amazing book that I want to encourage all of you guys to read. Maybe even homework, Mary, right? But Deuteronomy chapter 6, and to give you a little bit of context, when this book, Deuteronomy, was written, the Israelites have been in the desert for almost 40 years. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. What Dustin shared with us earlier about the manna, what is this? The manna for 40 years, they were miraculously provided for this food, and they saw God do incredible, mighty miracles all throughout the desert. They did suffer. And the Lord did share with them, saying, I put you in the desert to test you so that you would see what's in your heart. We will be tested and tried. And just like I've shared in the past, if you squeeze a toothpaste bottle, what comes out? And many people say, toothpaste? Maybe. It depends on what's inside. And when we are hard-pressed and compressed and we go through trials and tribulations, we are squeezed. And God right here, he, he, he spoke through Moses to the people of Israel, knowing that they're getting ready to go into the promised land and they're going to be confronted by enemies and by other nations and tribes. And there's going to be war and there's going to be battle. There's going to be hardship. And more than anything else, what God wants to download to his people, first and foremost, it's worshiping and knowing him, the Shema, just what we read and just what we prayed. Hear, O Israel, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Influence. In today's title, this sermon is Influence with Intent. Now, what does influence mean? This is the definition of influence. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character. Say character. Character, the development or behavior of someone or something. My father had an influence on my life, even to this day, both the good things he did and the bad things he did. One of those influences was me trying to be just like him, trying to cross that leg over. Now, my dad was not a Christian until I was in high school. And one of the greatest influences that my father has given me was his love for God's word. Because once he gave his life to Jesus, he was radically changed and he drowned himself in God's word. There were times I thought, man, do you have the whole Bible memorized? He could just quote scripture after scripture after scripture. Now he memorized the old King James, all the thee, thou, thys, and whither so thou withest. And so I didn't understand half of what he was saying. But he loved God's word. And that impacted me to this day, the importance of God's word. So influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, 
or behavior of someone or something. Now, intent means resolved and determined, showing earnest or eager attention or purpose. So you put those two words together, influence with intent. That means being intentionally committed, eager to have an impact on the development of someone's character, to influence, to change, to impact someone. Legacy members have impacted all of our lives. Doing far more than what they could probably possibly imagine or ask. We impact and influence the lives of others. The question is, what type of impact are we making? Right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, starting in verse 4. Remember, Moses is getting ready to die. And he's downloading onto his people, the people of Israel, what's most important. Look at what he says. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is what's called the Shema. And it's what Jesus took it. And then Jesus added what's in Leviticus. And also the second one is like it, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. But back during the time of Moses and for centuries, any good, faithful Jew who loved the Lord, they would pray this prayer every morning, every evening, usually with the family. And they would stand up and they would say, listen. And sometimes your translation might say, hero Israel. You know, God has given us one mouth and how many ears? How many? Two. Why? And usually we act and live as if we have two mouths and no ears. Hear, O Israel. Are you listening? Listen. That's one of the aspects of freedom prayer is to listen. God can show up in a hurricane. But boy, I've learned he loves that still, small, quiet voice. Are you listening? And then this powerful declaration, the Lord our God in its capital letters, Lord, that's Yahweh. The Lord is one. Now they're living within the context and culture of all the surrounding nations have numerous gods. Israel was unique. They have one God. If you're confused about the Trinity, good, me too. We'll figure that out when we get to heaven. But God is one. And Jesus, who's God in the flesh, he affirms the fact that our Lord, our Father, our God is one and he's Lord and God. This declaration, it's not just a prayer, but it's a proclamation and it's unique and it's distinct. And it sets God, the creator of the universe, the creator and maker and ruler and leader and judge of the Jewish people. It sets him apart. The God of the Bible is just not one God of many gods. He is the Lord and maker of all the universe. He is holy, which means he is set apart. He is unique. He is distinct. He's he's all the omnis, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is like no other. And so when we see this simple phrase, phrase here, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. We are declaring and proclaiming that he is like no other. 
And as we sang today, his faithfulness is great. He is faithful. We cannot contain him in our minds. He is not part of creation, but creation does speak to him and point to him and his invisible qualities that that we can see in creation, his invisible qualities, his power, his uniqueness, his goodness, his faithfulness. I mean, I'm amazed, and I know it's God-inspired. It's only God-inspired. But if we were to see an iPhone laying on the ground or maybe a brand-new Mercedes-Benz sitting out in the driveway with a key in the key shaft and gas in the tank and it functions, we would never think it happened by an accident. We would know that there was a creator and a maker and an architect and designer of those amazing things here on this planet. And yet millions of people think and believe that our universe and creation just happened. That it was just a big old accident. No. We just as humans created in God's image, we are such an amazing, unique creation. And it all points back to the fact that God is this incredible maker, creator, and sustainer. And that's what this phrase is. The Lord, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And then look at what he says. And I'm going to have to like ramp up the RPMs. But we're commanded to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, everything that we are, everything that we have. It's not just a mental ascent. Yeah, I love God. Our actions, how we spend our time and where we spend our money is the evidence of what's most important to us. So we're commanded to love God with everything that we are. And then he says in verse six, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Now it's not just these few verses, it's this whole book. But they're to be in our heart and we're to consume them. And you guys, you know all the scripture passages. There are so many. Psalm 119, nine through 11, it's the longest chapter in the whole entire Bible. Psalm 119, it's written by King David. But this is what King David says. And King David, he was by no means perfect. He was a murderous adulterer. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. I don't understand how that works, but I do know it's all by God's great goodness and grace and mercy. But King David wrote this. He said, how can a young man keep his way pure? And I'll just add, how can a young man or woman keep his or her way pure? By keeping your word. That means by obeying your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. This is a prayer. It's a plea. And then he says, I've treasured your word in my heart. When we treasure God's word, that means we, it's important to us. It's vital. It's life. We'll protect it. We'll watch over it. So when we treasure God's word, we, don't only, we not only just read and learn about it, but we commit to following and obeying it. And I'm not talking about perfection. We're going to fail. We are, we're weak. We are jars of clay. But even in our weakness and even when we sin, part of following and obeying God is going back to him, asking for forgiveness and receiving it because he promises it. But one of the ways that we can walk in holiness and obedience is treasuring God's word in our hearts and following it, obeying it. So he says, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. 
God has given us the basic instructions before leaving earth, the B-I-B-L-E. And he longs for us to consume his word, to know it. The very next book after Deuteronomy is Joshua 1.8, where Joshua is commanded by the Lord himself. He says, do not, or he says, this book of, sorry, I memorized it in NIV. So this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You're to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to observe everything written in it. And what's the promise? For then you'll prosper and succeed in whatever you do. You see, as Israel was getting ready to go into the land, the promised land, they were going to be confronted by giants and armies and people groups that hated them, and there would be confrontation. And God is wanting his people first and foremost to know and understand and to love God with all that they are and to consume his word, to leave a legacy, to understand his will and his ways and to consume it. So that's why he says here in Deuteronomy, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. We must consume it. All of us are like very dry, brittle sponges. And if you've ever taken a dry, brittle sponge, you drop it and dip it and hold it underwater within seconds. It absorbs that water. And then it becomes usable. We are like a dry sponge. And we need to not only be dipped, but submerged and held under in God's word and his presence, allowing his word, his living word, to consume our hearts and our minds to transform our actions. Jesus talks a lot about abiding in John chapter 15. He commands us to abide in him and his words in us. But in John 15, and I want to encourage you, Mary, more homework. Sorry, I'm giving you the whole book of Deuteronomy plus John 15, okay? It's just an inside joke we have. But Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. What did Jesus just say? Do you believe it? As the Father has loved me, how much, has, how much does the Father love Jesus? Jesus then turns around and he says, so I have loved you. That, could, that should blow us out of the water. Jesus loves us exactly the same as the Father loves Jesus. Meditate on that all week. It should radically transform us. Jesus loves you exactly the same as the Father loves Jesus. Jesus delights in you exactly the same as the Father delights in him. And then Jesus says, remain in my love. Remain in it. Experience it. And Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. There's an important aspect of faith, not only believing in God, but obedience. And walking in obedience and submitting to his word, as we submit to God in obedience, we remain in his love, and then we experience his love in a greater, deeper way. We experience his compassion in a greater, deeper way. And we will fall off the wagon. We will sin. We will We're weak, but that's where we trust Holy Spirit. And in his power and presence, we get back up and we remain in his love. 
And as we remain in his love, Jesus says, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love, that's how we're to remain in his love. And that's impossible without the presence and power of Holy Spirit in our lives. It's impossible without faith. But as we abide in Jesus, his words will not only remain in us, but they'll begin to overflow and flow out of us. And then look at what Jesus says right here, or not Jesus, Moses, right back here. Turn back to Deuteronomy. There are several commands given. Or Moses says to the people, to the men and women, repeat them to your children, God's word. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Now, for centuries, many Jews actually did this literally. They had these small boxes that they put on their foreheads with God's word written in them, on their doorposts to their homes, and even at the city gates. And they take it literally. But we shouldn't just take it literally. We need to take it emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Hands many times represent our strength, our effort, our resources. And God commands us, write them on our hands. That means all that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, needs to be given over to God's word. Our mind, on the foreheads of our mind, it's what consumes, it's what we put our focus, what we think about. His word, his will, his way, his presence. And then on the doorpost of our homes, literally we can do that, but it doesn't mean a whole, whole lot if we're not living it out. And he talks about here, teach it to your children, repeat it to your children when you walk, when you sit, when you lie down, and when you get up. All, an all-consuming lifestyle. Growing up, my parents were great parents, but one thing we never did as a family was what we called family devotions. And I missed it. Some of my friends' families would do family devotions, and it sounded to me, it sounded awesome. Where the whole family would gather around the kitchen table and they'd pray and read and sing together a Bible lesson. And I remember I moved when I moved to Holland and lived in Amsterdam for a summer. I went down to visit some of my friends who were missionaries, and they had two little kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And mom was pregnant with number three, and they had, I think, six or seven kids. And every night we did family devotions. And I thought, yes, this is exactly what we're going to do. When I get married, I don't know who I'm going to marry, but when I get married and have kids, we're going to have devotions every single night. And it's going to be awesome. And Holy Spirit's going to fall upon us. And there'll be signs and wonders and miracles and speaking in tongues. And it's going to be unbelievable. So Christy and I get married. We start having kids. As they get older, we do all this singing and Bible lessons and stories. And as they get older, we sit around the kitchen table. And guess what happens? All right, kids, we're going to do family devotions. <laughs> all right, hey, who wants this prayer? We got this prayer book. And beginning, can we have the prayer book? Oh, I want that book. That's mine. No, that's my Bible. No, I don't want to do that. And after 10 minutes of arguing, dad's getting mad. Dad's cussing. You know, dad's getting angry. Dad needs to go to confession again. Mom's frustrated because dad isn't showing the love and light of Jesus to his children. The kids don't even want to be there. They'd rather play or go watch TV, which then gets mom more frustrated. And finally, as we start, we start with the Lord's Prayer. You know, or we start with some of the liturgy. The Lord be with you. And here's my kids. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We live to the Lord. Are we done yet? <gasps> it's hard. I told them I was going to do this, okay? Parenting. 
is hard. Can I get amen from parents? Amen. If the kids would only, right? No. I mean, we're sinners. You put some little sinners in the house, you shake it all up, where are you going to get? A lot of sin. God knows that. And that's why he's, you know, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. We will do family devotions twice in a week and then go a month and then one more time and then five days in a row, then miss two weeks in a row, and then do it once. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes we have to all go get a banana split afterwards just to ask for forgiveness. And it's hard. But it's vital as parents to pass down. And it's not just a little devotional time at night or the morning, but it's all day long. It's more caught than taught. But you know, it's not just for parents with little kids. It's for the entire church body and church family. You know, I, I wasn't teasing about Ezekiel. Our life group, if everybody shows up, it's like 20 people and half of them are teenagers and kids. And I love it when Ezekiel's in charge. Monday morning, we have prayer time here. There's only like four or five of us. And Maria brings her two little girls. And they, she puts out the rug and all these toys. They're loud sometimes. But I love it. These kids are just watching their mom pray with another group of adults. And they're just absorbing it. That's going to be eternal impact. I love it when kids are in here. Because they watch their parents. They watch adults love Jesus, worship Jesus. We're going to go long today, okay? So the Episcopalians are going to beat us to the buffet, just so you know. To end, I want to encourage all of us. If you're single and got roommates or don't have roommates, if you have roommates, housemates, gather together once a week daily to pray together to encourage one another. If you're single and you live alone, dive into a life group with those who are around you to encourage one another, to pray for the families here with littles, to actively engage with the next generation. Pray for Tracy and Brady as they lead our high school group, for Lauren Browning and for Andre as they lead our middle school kids. We could always use more leaders for our children. There were like eight or nine kids in this kid's Sunday school this morning. If all the families show up, there's like 20 littles downstairs in nursery. They could always use not warm bodies, but men and women who love Jesus and love to download Jesus into the next generation. There's some very practical things I want to show you. One of the things that we're doing in this sermon series, well, actually before that, right here, Lauren has these packets copied, and they're out on the welcome desk. Technically, it's for uh, preschool kids, but as I read through this, I'm like, man, whoo, Wayne and I, one of the deacons, we need this here. This is a real important cell phone just went off, Okay. There's this entire Bible study packet that Lauren provides every single week for preschool kids. There's activities, Bible lessons, crafts. If you're an old big kid and you want to take one, do it. And it's meant to be done as a family. Another just tool to help us if we're single, 
if we have a family, have roommates, it says parent equip, but you can go to this. Well, that's the PDF on it. But if you go to this link, it's a credible resource to help us as families to pass along what Moses told his people. And then the third thing is all of us, let us commit to the next generation, disciple-making by being intentional in both our church, family, and in our homes, regardless of how young or old we are. If there are families here that you don't know with littles, right, Brittany? Introduce yourself to them. Ask, how can we pray for you as a young mom? If you want to get involved in how to invest in the lives of our young people, ask Lauren Jones. You can ask me. You can ask our new groups minister who will introduce you soon. But I want to encourage, let us stand again. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And we're going to declare again. Pray again the Shema. This ancient prayer. And I want to encourage you, pray this prayer every day. It's like the Lord's Prayer for the Old Testament. Jesus answered, the most important commandment is this. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. Let us worship him.